This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is the morning after, the morning after midterm election day. We are analyzing the results of yesterday's elections. It looks like the Republicans have won the House of Representatives. It looks like the Senate is still too close to call. I don't know that we'll know who, which party's in control of the Senate by the end of this broadcast. It appears uh, the Republicans have at least 48 seats. The Democrats have at least 48 seats. Arizona, uh, they're not making a call on that. Georgia, it looks like, is heading to a runoff. Uh, Wisconsin, it looks like, is still too close to call. And Nevada appears still too close to call at this point. In New York, a race which was uh, thought to be getting pretty tight towards the end. The race for New York governor has resulted in, I think, what can only be described as a hokal landslide. Uh, they will retain control of both houses. It, the Republicans uh, have lost two state houses that they were in control of. Uh, the Republican governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan, is uh, was not up for uh, he, he was not running this year, and so the Democrats have retaken the governorship in Maryland. Same thing in Massachusetts. There was a Republican governor there, Charlie Baker. He didn't run for re-election, and uh, the Democrats have uh, taken the governorship in Massachusetts as well. Uh, we're keeping you posted on a lot of these races. Obviously, one race that got a great deal of attention was the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania. Uh, you had uh, Pat Toomey retiring. This was a red seat, a Republican seat. And it appears now that in a, after a very hotly contested race between Republican Mehmet Oz and Democrat John Fetterman, it appears Fetterman was victorious. Here's a little bit of Fetterman from his victory speech a few hours ago. We launched this campaign almost two years ago. And we had our slogan. It's on every one of those signs right now. Every county, every vote. Every county, every vote. And that's exactly what happened. We jammed them up. And uh, joining us in studio to discuss it is John McDonough, uh, one of my favorite people to talk to, longtime radio talk show host. He's also a playwright, a comedian, and a cab driver. Generally tends to be somewhere on the leftward end of the political spectrum. Not always. He's uh, pretty unpredictable. Hello there, John. Good to Hello. see you. Hello. Thanks for having me up here. I got my beauty sleep, and I'm ready for the, <laughs> the next hour. I appreciate the attentiveness with which you listen to every minute of the program. Uh, joined as well by my old friend Jaden Horan, a uh, longtime conservative commentator and journalist, and these days the editor in chief of a new pump publication called Swan Yay. Jaden, it's great to see you again. Yeah, great to be here, Frank. Hey, uh, Jaden, you are one of the many right-leaning New Yorkers that fled New York for the Sunshine State, the state of Florida. You got your tan to show for it. Uh, the governor of Florida reelected overwhelmingly, I think uh, exceeding just about everybody's expectations. Uh, is part of the reason Florida has gotten so red because so many people from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania have moved down there because they want a red state to live in? Yeah, that's part of it. And also, I think, you know, what what we've seen is that the Cuban vote in Florida 
uh, was always uh, leaning conservative and younger Cubans were supposedly going liberal under Obama. But what we have seen is other immigrant groups, including Venezuelans and Colombians and Puerto Ricans, they have mirrored the voting habits of Cubans and further made Florida a red state. So we imported voters, the right-leaning voters from the Northeast, and we minted new right-leaning voters hmm. in Florida. That's hey, what happened. Uh, what is your publication, Swan Ye? What is that? It is a free speech, free expression, fashion and culture magazine, and we're predicated on ideas, artists, and ownership. So we are the anti-Vogue. We are looking <laughs> to create a space for actual creatives and actual designers to talk about their art. And it really it's for anyone to the right of woke. So if you don't buy into the bull that you you get fed from the left, and I'm not just talking about the left political left, the cultural left that has a monopoly on what goes on in fashion and culture in this country, then this publication is for you. But I can be a Democrat or a left-leaning uh, person and still find something to enjoy yeah, in Swan Yeah, And uh, what's the website if people want to check it out? It's www.swanye.co. So S O I G N E.co. All right. Let me ask uh, first your key takeaways in terms of this election. It seemed to be going into yesterday that the conventional wisdom was that this was going to be a red wave. The only question was how big a wave this was going to be. Uh, I don't know if you can characterize a narrow Republican majority in the House and uh, still an inconclusive Senate and losing a couple of key governorships as a red wave. How do you guys see it? Yeah, I mean, I I think right now what we're seeing is that for the first time in probably a decade, the polls have been startlingly startlingly accurate, right? Like we saw that the polls were projecting between 1% to 4% uh, Republican uh, victory. And taken in aggregate, what we see between Florida and New York and, and places in like California, we are seeing that there's a larger percentage for Republicans, but what we're seeing countervailing trends in places like Pennsylvania, what we're seeing in Arizona and Georgia, is that there's less. So in aggregate, we're looking at 1% gain. So there is no red wave because the polls were right. Two things can simultaneously be true, Frank. We can have voters that care about inflation and the economy and about abortion and threats to democracy. John McDonough, do you share Jaden's view that the polling was right going into this election? No. I, I mean, if you were listening to any of the right-wing talk shows throughout the country, they, they were just – this was a red wave. It turned into a red ripple. I mean – and, and to me, it, it was a referendum on Trump and some of the candidates he picked, particularly in Pennsylvania. You had a guy who could barely speak with a stroke. He was, his running theme was uh, he's recovering and running. Now, you would never have a pilot – Say having a stroke to say, well, I'm going to fly while I'm recovering. I don't mean to but laugh. But, it was yeah. so horrible that he picked this Dr. Oz. And the reason he picked him, and, and I remember him saying, he goes, do you know what? When he was on TV, he got great ratings. What, what does that have to do with running for the New York Senate? He's picking people that are like him, that are reality show people, and not people say that are grassroots that came up in Pennsylvania. And now here you have a guy who should have been on a gurney 
brought around through the state of Pennsylvania and still beats uh, the Republican candidate. Well, to your point, you know, I think one of the people that was sort of trying to capture the uh, the celebrity appeal of Donald Trump on a state level was Carrie Lake running for governor in Arizona. And we still don't have a call on that race yet. But as of now, she is trailing Hobbs, the Democrat that was running there. It looks like Lake has about 44 percent of the vote based on the returns that are in now. I, I, that is a race that really surprised me. I saw her winning that race. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, if you guys felt the same way. Did you think she was going to pull that out? And are, are you as surprised as I am that she's trailing at this point? Well, I mean, those are the early votes in mostly Maricopa County. And what, one thing we do know about Arizona is they do tabulate those early votes first and then same day, uh-huh. uh, same day totals come in later. And Overwhelmingly moderate and uh, Democratic voters vote early, especially in Arizona. It's something skewed like 60, 70 percent and Republicans vote on Election Day. So we actually don't know, which is why they're not calling it. We don't know what Arizona is going to do, because with the irregularities in Maricopa this morning, the loss of the lawsuit to extend voting times, people still waiting in line an hour after voting in Maricopa County or hour after the polls closed to vote in in Maricopa County. We don't know. And to your point, I think having people who are candidate selection is crucial because it creates coattails when they're good. It creates coattails like Mm. DeSantis and like Zeldin when they're bad. It creates negative coattails like Mastriano in Pennsylvania, period. It it is interesting. By the way, we are uh, being told that there's a significant amount of Arizona votes that are going to be announced or uh, revealed in the next hour. So we'll bring you those results uh, as they occur. Significant addition of vote counts expected in Arizona. Arizona in the next hour. Uh, You know, you mentioned Lee Zeldin and New York. It is interesting, even though Zeldin, I think, fell well short of a lot of people's expectations. It's looking like the Republicans um, may pick up as many as four U.S. House seats. Uh, there looks like they're poised to pick up the Tom Swazi seat in Long Island, the Kathleen Rice seat out on Long Island, the um, Sean Patrick Maloney seat in the Hudson Valley, and uh, maybe even this uh, newly created seat that uh, Mark Molinaro was leading in upstate. Um, I, would you characterize this, John, as a good night for Republicans in New York? I, I would say it's mixed. I just wanted to go back to, to how I, I voted and how I came. And I didn't realize how and why I voted for Lee Zeldin until <laughs> I listened to his show up the dial uh, of a guest that was on just before you, the lawyer for Lee Zeldin. And he was bragging about how he knocked off all the parties on on the, the ballot. So I went to vote uh, in Queens at the Atlas Mall, which is on Cooper Avenue between Middle Village and Glendale. So I was going in looking for my Jimmy McMillan, my the right. rent's too sure. damn high, because I, I was going for the FU vote this time. So I get in there, and there's two candidates. There is nothing else. Right. I, That's I had, the, f- the first time since 1948 that a, that was the And the, case. the lawyer had said, he goes, we are going to get the protest vote. And that, that was me. I was the perfect – so I didn't realize that I would be ending up voting for Lee Zeldin because I didn't want to leave it empty. And I had no other choice. I didn't have the rents too damn high. I didn't have the Libertarian. I didn't have the Green Party. I didn't have any of those parties. And I was so pissed at Hochul when she made the statement that I was a data denier about <laughs> crime. So now she's lumping me in with uh, Trump supporters about the election. And she was saying Zeldin was trying to scare me. You know what scares me? I get up in the morning, I look at my laptop, and I watch the videos from the night before of what's going on in the subway. 
That's not data denial. That's reality. We used to find out about crime in New York. You would watch The Warriors or Death Wish with Charles Bronson. That would give you an idea what's going on in New York. We now have that on a daily basis. This is not data denial. Every morning, it's even worse than watching a movie. When you see the video of someone actually pushing someone in front of a train, that's reality. I'm not denying the data. I'm watching the reality, and I couldn't believe how she was saying that Zelda was trying to scare me. No, you know what was scaring me? was the videos that I watch every morning of all the crimes going on in the city and how I have to adjust my habits now of taking the train and staying on the stairs, not going near the, the platform. Uh, John I mean, McDonough is here. Jaden Horan is here. If you want to call in uh, with questions or comments on anything we're talking about, you can do so at 800-848-9222. Jaden, same question I just asked to John. Is this a good night for the uh, New York State Republican Party or a bad night? I think it's a great night. I think it's a great night because when you mint new Republicans, you're minting a, a larger bench. Right. And you have elected officials then to draw on for future statewide runs, which is what you need. Republicans were on the verge with the previous map that the state Supreme Court threw out of being basically relegated to extinction. OK. And that didn't happen. And with a pickup of net four of net four in New York, that means Republicans can at least combat what's going on with the Democratic bench. In the future, you know, they can create new stars. It is something. It looks like the Republicans have picked up a seat in New Jersey as well. And uh, to think that uh, in a very narrow state of uh, congressional majority, it could be New York and New Jersey that are largely responsible for returning the Republicans to the uh, to the uh, to you know to the majority chamber in the House is really really wild. What do you guys think this means for the future of a Trump candidacy? A lot of the early prognostication have the fact that this is not a red tidal wave as a repudiation of Trump. Maybe it's the Mar-a-Lago thing. Maybe it's the fact that he used his influence to uh, pick candidates that weren't electable in seats that were winnable. Uh, what do you guys think this means for Trump 2024, which appears uh, likely to occur on Tuesday? Well, here's the deal. What we know is that divisive elected officials drive turnout, but they drive turnout on both sides. So you have Bolsonaro all the way down in Brazil driving turnout on the left, allowing Lula to win with what? 50 percent, 51 percent. He gets 49. Trump did the same thing with Biden. He drove the left to come out along with his own base. It was record amounts on both sides. What's going to happen if he runs again is he's going to drive the left to come out. What we need to do is have a candidate that drives the left to say, eh, I don't know if this person is the end of democracy. So as a right-leaning voter, are you hoping that uh, that the candidate in 2024, and I hate to make this a 2024 discussion because there's still a lot more uh, road to hoe between now and then, but are you hoping the Republican is Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump? I'm hoping it's Ron DeSantis. Uh, John, but I don't think it should be. Who do you think it should be? I think the party needs to go through and the country needs to go through either – repudiating the Biden-Harris ticket or allowing the Democrats to throw him over the edge and put, put in Newsom, which is what they really want. John, do you think the most likely scenario in 2024 is a Trump-Biden rematch? Uh, I, I hope not. I, I mean, we can hold it then at a senior citizen's home. I mean, this is part of what's wrong with our political process. You look at the people running, Biden, Trump, Pelosi, Leahy, uh, Feinstein. Everybody's in their 80s. 
I, I, I mean, don't forget what, Chuck what, Grassley. He's yeah, pushing ninety. What's the vetting process in order to get into politics? Now you have to start at seventy or eighty, and to get in. No, I think if Trump runs, he is so toxic that if Fetterman was to run in twenty twenty four, still with the stroke, he would beat Trump. You know, people keep forgetting Trump lost by eight million people the last time. It'll be even more now. Nothing will motivate the Democratic base is to see Trump just like he did this week when he gets up and he calls Pelosi an animal. I mean, his type of politics will motivate any Democrat to come out. And that's it, it's already happening because the more exposure Trump gets, the, the more wound up everyone's getting. And when he makes his announcement in now two weeks' time, it's over. And no, let's one week. Biden. It's going to happen two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Six days oh from now. Oh, my God. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Manhattan. Robert, you're here with Jaden Horan and John yes. McDonough. Hello. Yes. Good, yes. Good morning, gentlemen. I want to uh, – Concentrate on Georgia for a minute. To the gentleman, Horan, I believe is his name. I'm assuming he's a conservative. Don't you understand, sir, what went down in Georgia? This is a man, Herschel Walker, who ran around saying no uh, abortion on any, I go, wait, wait, you know, wait, uh, no, 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 uh, no exception for rape, no exception for incest. And then it turns out that he forced one or three women to get abortions my friend this is hypocrisy 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 and what hurts is that on this radio station there were people saying well oh well maybe he made a mistake no if you're going to support a point then go for it even if it's popular or unpopular but don't do it and then find out that you're a hypocrite and i'm afraid and remember something gentlemen President Trump was the same gentleman who said that COVID was a hoax. All Remember right. that? Yeah, uh, Robert, uh, I don't know that, um, you know, DeSantis's record on uh, on COVID uh, is that much more is that much different from Trump. And uh, and Ron DeSantis is, appears headed to a double digit victory in some of the most Democratic parts of the state. Uh, you want to address his comments about Georgia at all, Jaden? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't bring up Georgia, but I think Georgia is a great point to bring up. Raphael Warnock has multiple accusations of domestic abuse and he's a pastor. When we want to talk about hypocrisy. Let's just be honest. Politics is full of hypocrites. So if you're going to sit there and say that I saw a Republican, oh my gosh, he's a hypocrite. Well, let's turn around and look. There are lots of Democrats who are hypocrites. There are lots of people who run in the Democratic Party who are, you know, Alcee Hastings was the only impeached federal judge and turned around and won Congress. You know, the Democratic Party had absolutely no problem keeping him in a caucus in a, and he was a committee chairman for, for heaven's sake. So, yeah. This is hypocrisy is the name of the game. At the end of the day, voters have to decide, do we want this person to represent us? And right now, I don't think Georgia has made a clear answer. Uh, John McDonough, Georgia is one of those uh, races where it looks now like we're heading towards a runoff there. It's almost like alien versus predator. Whoever wins, uh, no matter who wins, you lose, right? But but it is. You're just going to see who's more hypocritical. Is it Herschel Walker? I, I would go back to the vetting process. How does a Herschel Walker get picked? How did he the, – the man can barely speak. He's always invoking God while he's driving his girlfriends to the abortion clinic. I, I mean this – there are more regulations to become a horse in Central Park than there is to become a political candidate. There should be a date 
like like Priest, you turn 65, you're gone. It's over for you. This clinging to power of these senior citizens in these nursing homes, which we call the Congress and the Senate. Well, but but aren't there some uh, older politicians no. that are well? Have a like Bernie Sanders, as energetic I, I, no, as can he be. He should go too. They all should go at a certain age. You know what? They fought for well, pensions. Look, I'm for term Why don't limits. you enjoy the pension <laughs> but, that you fought for? I, I I don't know, Frank. When they die, do they? Pass on the pension, or do they lose it? That's a good question. I think they lose it, but right. I think that might so, be a. So here, what, what do they care? They they should enjoy life. Come sixty five, I don't want to see you anymore. You know, it's funny, Jaden. The point John brings up. Uh, there was a recent article which shows this is the one thing that Democrats and Republicans tend to agree upon, which is that the country's leaders are too old. Um, what, what do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, we live in a gerontocracy. We have we live with rule by old people. Here's the thing: we have. An age requirement by which our founders believe that at a certain point you are mature enough to take on the mantle of public service, right? And that's different for each thing, for for an elected representative, a senator, and president. And yet, because most of them were in advanced age, there was no age limit, right? There was no age limit that after some point, you know, we are not going to entrust 70 80, 90-year-olds with elected office because mm-hmm. we'd assumed that they would go quietly into the good night. But apparently, power is too intoxicating, so they can't do that. They have to hold on it until they freaking die in office. <laughs> with their Nancy Pelosi is going to sit oh, there with hey. the gavel clutched as she slowly recedes into death at 115. All and right. they give it to her daughter. 800-848-9222. John McDonough, Jaden Horan is here. We're going to take uh, your calls in a moment. And we'll check in with Obi Murray, who will join us live from Puerto Rico. Uh, and we'll go down to Georgia. They say the devil went down to Georgia. We're going to go down to Georgia and check in with Martha Zoller. She'll give us the latest on what's happening in this uh, Warnock-Walker Senate race. And uh, tell us if a runoff is inevitable. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, there are some clowns to the left of me. There are some jokers to the right, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Jaden Horan is here. He is the editor in chief of a new publication called Swanye, which is getting a lot of attention. A lot of people are talking about it. And uh, John McDonough, cab driver, comic, playwright, and radio talk show host, is here as well. Uh, John generally considered uh, on the left end of the political spectrum, but apparently voted for Lee Zeldin. We'll revisit that. Forced to. <laughs> we'll I have no choice. Where was the FU vote hey, going to go? I, I, uh, John, I'm in the same boat. I, I uh, was sorry there wasn't somebody else to vote for as well. In in terms of the battle for control of the Senate, uh, this is how it looks right right now at the moment. So 
the Dem, the Democratic Party has held New Hampshire. They have flipped Pennsylvania. So if the Republicans hold Wisconsin, which appears likely, they're leading in Wisconsin, they're going to need to flip two of the remaining toss-up races, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. We're going to get an update from Georgia a little bit later this hour. And uh, it, it looks like at this point that uh, Arizona, where, which we expect uh, some numbers within the hour as well, it looks like... Like the Democrat is leading there. Nevada still very, very close at this point. We'll bring you any numbers as they come out. You were talking, John, about uh, Lee Zeldin and why you, even though you know a lot of your career has been around progressive politics and progressive personalities, you ended up voting for Zeldin. It wasn't just a protest vote, though, was it? Yeah, it, it was a protest. Like, I would have voted for the Libertarian or any of the crazy parties. It used to be on the ballot. In particular, I bring up Jimmy McMillan with the, sure. the rent too damn high. Like, he would never have a hope now with what uh, Cuomo did about uh, how to qualify to get on. But the other thing to me and and to over 100,000 drivers out there and even – I, I would say a half million between the truck drivers is this congestion tax. Now, I, I was just over in Ireland and England. When I was in England, I talked to the cab drivers there, and it's up to $50 to enter the downtown London. And they allowed electric cars to come into downtown London for free. But now there's so many electric cars coming in, they're now going to charge them the same amount. So it's all very wealthy people that are coming into downtown Manhattan. Now, this might sound strange to your listeners in Alaska, that to go down a certain street in Manhattan, that you're going to be charged 20 to $30 extra. This is going to be a killer. And the London cabbies told me if you live outside of London, you don't come into London anymore. You'll save the $50, take your family to go out and eat in, in Essex or outside of London. And that's what's going to happen in Manhattan. There's nobody going to be coming in from Brooklyn and Queens. To, to come into Manhattan, to, to even go to the uh, theater uh, or go to a restaurant. I'll save the $50 and take my family out in, in Williamsburg. It's going to cost Greenpoint. me a bundle to, for the privilege of getting to work every day. Right. I'm not looking forward what to about this. us? Is John Katz going to compensate us? Because it's supposed to be 24-7, right? He didn't get so, to be uh, a billionaire by giving yeah. out money. I, I promise you that. Uh, Jaden, um, oh, I was surprised that the congestion pricing issue didn't resonate mm-hmm. more in the outer boroughs and the suburbs. Uh, Hochul was still able to win. We don't know the margin of fair victory yet, and it may narrow. But why do you think that congestion pricing issue, which Zeldin did highlight, why do you think that didn't play more of a role in uh, voters in voters voting their pocketbook? I mean, I could say this right now. Uh, I only got on radio and television because of congestion pricing. When it was <laughs> right. initially proposed, that. when it was initially proposed, the nonprofit I worked at, they they we opposed it. We were the original ones that talked and did the research and talked about it. And I will say this. This is a democratic tactic 101. Introduce an issue and then withdraw it Mm. and then bring it back because you've moved the Overton window and you've destroyed any potential opposition. There was never an organized opposition against congestion pricing like there should be because it screws the middle class and it screws the working class and it only helps the rich. It's going to create a Manhattan for the rich drivers. Well, and a Period south, the end. And a south of 60th Street for uh, the same folks. Uh, all right, let us go live to Puerto Rico. We'll be joined by uh, E. O'Brien Murray, veteran political consultant, regular contributor to this program. He's uh, worked for both Democrat and Republican candidates, as well as a number of other entities over the years. Obi, how are things in Puerto Rico? Hey, hold my drink. Hold on a second. Wait. Oh, <laughs> how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, way to rub it in, pal. Way to rub it in. 
So, um, how, uh, seriously, though, I know Somos is the big spot for uh, all the politicos to gather in the aftermath of the election. Any, uh, any intel in terms of what's happening down there? No, nothing down here with this, but you know, if people are, I came down a day early just so I went to travel today, like a lot of other people. But congestion pricing, there wasn't a bandwidth for it, Frank, really. What it comes down to is in a campaign, you've got a chance to talk about two, three things tops. And what the issues are. And crime was such an overwhelming issue. And it, it moved numbers. I mean, if you look at what happened over the past two months, really, since Labor Day, um, and people paid attention to it, crime just came out to the forefront. And, and Hochul had to come back and, and try to talk in that lane. But there was no room to talk about congestion pricing. And it's really one of those things that until it hits people, mm. they're not going to even, even notice it in the commute and so forth. So it is going to be a major issue. Also, don't forget, it's one of those things that started years ago under Bloomberg, the conversation, and it came about eventually, and it got delayed for so long, it was sort of kicking the can down the road. And now you've got the past, but now the question is what the pricing is going to be and how it's going to be implemented. So at what point in the Democratic primary yeah, well, going to come again, up? I don't want to make the conversation too New York-centric. Uh, in Nevada, you know, they're listening to us saying, oh, you know, go to hell, all those uh, New Yorkers and New Jerseyans. We don't care if they have to pay $9. What's Not your in- key takeaway uh, from uh, this year's midterms, Obi? Well, I think if you look at it in the bigger picture again, it comes down to what the Democrats were doing originally for the messaging and where they were. Um, and, and they went with a message right after that Supreme Court decision on abortion. And I actually was talking to Doug Schoen last night about it, too, on some stuff. I've done a lot of work with Doug over the years. Great guy. Now you've, you've dealt with him before and had him on your show. Um, and I had mentioned that there, the money that the Democrats had spent on the abortion issue across the, uh, across the country was really a major amount of money being spent on the get-out-the-vote. The, the voters that voted on that issue were already going to vote um, – for for the Democrat, if they showed up to the polls, and it, it motivated them to come to the polls, is really what it comes down to. If you look at a lot of the polling, a lot of the closing across the country, whether it be in Nevada, whether it be uh, California, Alaska, and so forth, it really came down to who showed up to vote at the end of the day, and it didn't come down to any specific issue. And so I think that's the one thing that really that comes out here now is you look at the crime issue, you look at um, Across the country, the economic issue that really overwhelmed everybody, and and even if you look at the polling from Democrats and what they were doing in, in behind the scenes, there was a lot of conversation about the economy, but there wasn't an answer from the Democrats on how to deal with it. They tried to stay in the abortion discussion because if they talked about women's rights across the board, they felt they would win, and that's really what it came down to at the end of the day. The CNN poll last night that they released that talked about in the exit poll, the issues for everybody across the country, it was the economy. And then crime was about 12 or 13%, if I'm not mistaken, across the country. Right, but even when, we, even, but even when we talk about the economy, though, I, I think what was really, really telling about most of these exit polls is that, you know, it was 7 out of 10 Americans have a disfavorable view of the stewardship of the economy by Biden. But at the same time, they did not translate into the stewardship of the economy by the Democratic Party in general. It's as if they're blaming the president solely for what's going on mm. with inflation. And they're not blaming the party that's holding power in Congress that's creating the inflation with their runaway spending. That's that's the disconnect. And Republicans didn't ever make a case to connect how 
creating and minting money and and printing all of this this these bills the inflation reduction act and and all of the stimulus for the pandemic created this inflation they never created they never created that connection for voters so voters only just railed and agreed that inflation is a problem but they did not agree that democrats were at fault so that is that is an issue with republicans republicans did not message on it and and I think what we're seeing from this is that Democrats message consistently on abortion, and what we find is most Americans hold very interesting views on abortion. They want it either legal but with restrictions, or they want it unlimited except they want – just minimal restrictions. All right, uh, Obi, I'm not sure if that there was a specific question there, but if you have a comment based on uh, Jaden's observation, please. Well, no, I, th- I think when you look at that, that too, I, I, the Fetterman race is a great example of this. When you saw the numbers come out at the get-go, the minute the first numbers came out, it, Fetterman had a great lead. And throughout the night, the question was how much Oz would cut it. Those votes were cast before a debate, even at this point. Um, and so when you talk about um, getting that message across, when did that message get across? When did voters pay attention? Early voting starts across the country at various times. In New York, it's a couple weeks out kind of thing. You have absentee, absentee vote, voting. But when would voters get that message across and when did voters vote, I think is the other question, too. Um, so did, did and every state's different. How much money was being spent? What happened out in Nevada? When it happened? What happened in Alaska? Uh, early on, when they when they do it, um, every election is different like that, and you, you really don't have a November, an October surprise anymore. It's got to be a September surprise, and that's changed quite a bit too. I think when you look at the way the voting is taking place. So um, every year it gets earlier and earlier for when things have to resonate with voters. Um, you have Labor Day, and then you have voting starting how quickly. And that's really that's really cut that window down quite a bit, I think, Frank. You've you've seen that across the country. Yeah, no, you start that, talking. About, that's for sure. Yeah, ahead. Obi, how toxic do you think Trump storming around the country campaigning for the candidates that he wants, and he picks them as reality show candidates, like he did with Doctor Oz, and and him calling Pelosi an animal, and and now the, you know you're you're getting to see Trump. For what he is, because, you know, he's been off the scene, you could say, for a couple of years, but now he's coming back to the forefront and you're realizing why you don't like him. I, I think the challenge with the president was at the beginning, when he started setting the table for the for the primaries, uh, that was that was a major thing. If you look at Oz until President Trump endorsed him, Oz had lost that primary. And the question is, who would have done better against Fetterman then when you when you look at that picture? Um, we. Uh, at the end, I don't think anybody heard about Pelosi to speak to, to really mm-hmm. um, Pelosi and what the president's comments were in the last days. They did hear him talk about much more. He had a major announcement coming uh, next week, possibly. Um, and so that kind of thing could be something where he was he was sort of off the scene the last month. And then when he comes back around, they, they wait, realize, wait a second, if if the Republicans win and do all this, do we get him coming back? That could be a part of it, too. But. Really, at the end of the day, everything comes down to what's local and who the candidates were mm. after those primaries. And who, and it's not just the Republicans then. It's the opponents and who the Democrats put up in that in that, in that vein. Obi, Remember, uh, yeah, uh, uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the insight. Have fun in Puerto Rico. Make sure you send me a postcard. We'll see you when you're back in and, New York. 
remember, the Democrats also spent a lot of money behind certain candidates to put up the most Trumpish candidate in the that's primary right. as well. Too. That's right. That's a, that's a great point is uh, the Democrats did elevate a lot of the uh, so-called election deniers, a lot of these Trumpian candidates. Obi Murray, live from Puerto Rico. Let us go live to Georgia, where we are joined by Martha Zoller, a conservative strategist and activist, a policy, uh, excuse me, Martha Zoller, a conservative strategist, activist, policy expert, and a radio talk show host at WDUN in Georgia. Martha, I know it's been a long day for you, but uh, that's what you get for being at the epicenter of the race that everybody's talking about. Thanks so much for joining us on the radio. It is great to be here with you. Thank you. Martha, uh, how does it look at this point? It looks pretty close. It looks like uh, we're heading towards a runoff. Is it a runoff that's inevitable at this point? Well, it is a – okay, so it looks like it's heading towards a runoff. There are 33,000 votes that are the early votes in Columbia County, which are, is a very Republican county, that are still out there. That's according to the Secretary of State's office. They still have to count those votes. You know, if they break the way the rest of Columbia County broke, uh, it's possible that this might not go to a runoff, but not likely. So I'm planning on – being back on December 6th. That's what I'm planning right now. Um, go ahead. No, 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 please. Go ahead. No, so I think Herschel Walker, I mean, obviously Raphael Warnock has got to be going. I spent $150 million after this guy who's never been in politics before, and he is only, you know, 40,000 votes ahead at this point in time. Uh, so they did everything they could to take down Herschel Walker. And let me tell you something. While Herschel Walker was slightly helped, by the fact he was a Trump candidate, the reason why he was the guy that got nominated was because he had 100 percent name ID and he was running against a bunch of other people who weren't very well known. So he was going to win this primary. He was probably the only person in America that didn't need the Trump endorsement mm. to help him get across the, the finish line, if you will, using a football analogy. Uh, but I think we'll go to a runoff there. The governor won handily um, 300,000 more votes than he got in uh, four years ago because he had a fantastic record. Brian Kemp uh, threaded the needle. He stood up to Donald Trump. He didn't call names. He led the state and people responded to that. And so it it was a it was a great race for him. Uh, Martha, one of the things that we've heard uh, over the last couple of hours from people on the right and on the left is that if uh, the Republicans had nominated a candidate that was a little less controversial, that had a little bit less baggage than Herschel Walker, then the Republicans would have won that Senate seat in the same manner or by a similar proportion that Kemp, the governor of Georgia, won re-election to uh, his, his, his seat. Do you buy that? Do you think if the Republicans ran a safer candidate, albeit one with less name recognition, they'd be in a much better position tonight? Yeah, I really do. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger, ironically, the two people that stood up the most to Donald Trump, but also never called names. They never called Donald Trump a name, even though Donald Trump was calling them names. They just continued to govern. They did the best of any anybody, including John King, who ran for insurance commissioner down ballot. He was that same kind of candidate. Uh, and he's the first uh uh, constitutional officer born in Mexico that has been elected in Georgia. Those guys did great. 
Um, Herschel Walker didn't campaign with Brian Kemp, even though they've been friends their entire lives. They had dueling final rallies. I think had they been able to join together, it would have helped. Now, shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? And I've got a cup of coffee here, and that's about what that's worth. <laughs> uh, but I voted in the primary, and I don't mind saying, for Kelvin King. Kelvin King is a young man, an African-American, had a fantastic story, uh, had, a, had a similar story without all the baggage, being a teenage dad, then coming um, to uh, religion, and then getting married and building a business and being successful and all that kind of stuff. That's who I voted for because I thought he had the best chance in the primary. But I'm a I'm a what they call a double dog from the University of Georgia. I have two degrees from the University of Georgia. I think the combination of Herschel Walker and Georgia winning the national championship, I mean, because football's like a religion down here, as you know, that really helped Herschel Walker uh, do better than anybody thought he could do. I mean, he came within – you know, what, 30,000 votes of Raphael Warnock, and there are 33,000 votes still out there from a very Republican county. So it this isn't over, but I still am not going to be making any plans between now and December 6th. And, and how is the runoff going to be? I mean, it's going to be after Thanksgiving, before Christmas. I mean, people barely come out now here in the midterms for, to vote. Who, who's coming out a week or two before Christmas to vote? And, and, you know, how can you predict that? Because people are just going to be fed up now with the one vote. And then we have to come out just before Christmas again and spending another hundred million dollars. Or well, how much more money is going to be pumped into this? Because now the whole country will be concentrated just on this uh, race in, in December. Kind of like two years ago, that two years ago, we had a nine week runoff. And so it was January 5th uh, was when we had our runoff and the two Democratic senators were elected. Uh, I think it's tough to get people back out to vote at this time of the year. Um, There has been talk about changing the law in Georgia to have a 45 percent threshold instead of a 50 percent threshold. Uh, but you're right. It's all it's going to be all about getting your voters out. And famously, in January of, of 2021, the day before uh, January 6th, we had our primary on January 5th. Um, Three hundred and fifty thousand Republicans didn't turn back out, but only one hundred and fifty thousand Democrats didn't turn back out. So it's it's a turnout machine. Ironically, the person that lost to Raphael Warnock, Kelly Leffler, uh started an organization called Greater Georgia, which is really the Republican version of what Stacey Abrams did. And she got a lot of voters out. She did not take her ball and go home. And so she'll be working Hmm. to turn out the vote. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, Last question I'll ask, Martha, is the votes for the libertarian candidate in this race, do you and I realize it's, you know, a small number, but it could be determinative of the outcome. Do you think most of the folks, the the folks that voted for the libertarian, do you think they go for Walker or Warnock in the general election in the runoff election? I think they go to Walker because, quite frankly, you know, they're one of these people, you know, don't bug me about my personal life Mm -hmm. kind of people. And they also do lean Republican. Generally, I think those 80,000 votes, if you want to know the truth, were protest votes uh, against both of the establishment candidates. So I think they're more likely to go to Herschel Walker. But look, um, we did pick up a House seat. Uh, in Georgia, which was good, um, with, with in the sixth congressional district that had been a Democrat district, and uh, there are a number of other districts. I think the second is still too close to call. So, you know, we may pick up two House seats in Georgia, but Lord knows 
this was not a red wave. Um, we, we read some of this wrong. We've got to start actually supporting the people that think the way we do instead of trying to support people who we think can mess up the other person. And I think we need to do a better job at really communicating our values mm. and our messages, because I believe Republican values are better for America and get us on the right track, and we need to start acting like that. All right, Martha Zoller, thank you so much. Appreciate the the time. We'll be checking in with you between now and December 6th. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, 800-848-9222. We're going to continue with Jaden Horan and John McDonough on the other side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is a song that a lot of Democrats and Republicans could be singing today. Uh, Democrats may be singing it because they're unhappy with the Republicans gaining control of the House of Representatives. Republicans may be singing it because they were hoping and expecting a broader Republican majority across the board. Uh, We are keeping an eye on the numbers coming out of Arizona and Nevada. In Nevada, it looks like the Republican candidate for U.S. Senate there, Adam Laxalt, is uh, taking a narrow lead. It looks like it's about 600 votes, which for a statewide election is razor thin. 74% of the vote in at this point. We'll have an update on uh, Arizona pretty soon. Uh, Jaden Horan is here. John McDonough is here. Uh, Jaden, what should we be looking for as these Nevada numbers come in? Is there sort of a magic number in terms of uh, the vote differential versus the percentage of the precincts that are reporting in that folks will think of as indicative of the ultimate result there? Yeah, I think the threshold is understanding Clark County. Clark County is the biggest county. That's where Vegas is. And Laxalt needs to run roughly equal with Trump in 2016 or ahead. Okay. And right now he's doing that. Washoe County, which is where Reno tends to be slightly more Republican, the, the votes that are there. But what we're seeing though, is in fact that Cortez Masto is actually running behind Biden and she's mm. running behind Hillary. And so that means that in Nevada, that, that we're talking about, the, the balance of the state, which is outside of the two mega counties, could actually make the difference in this. That the in between the middle of nowhere where they dump the bodies in CSI <laughs> Vegas, <laughs> all right, that, 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 that could decide this election. Because and these counties are so close. The mega counties are so close. It looks like the Republican is leading. It's still pretty tight in Nevada as well, right? Right, and it's super tight. Yeah. But in Clark County, in Clark County... Porter's Masto's at 51% and Laxalt's at 46. All right. But (laughs) Biden was at 52 and Hillary was at 53. Uh So you don't win Nevada unless 
you win both Clark County and Washoe County. 800-848-9222. We'll squeeze in a couple of quick calls here. Alex is in California. Hello, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I wanted to say to your two guests, uh, could they uh, restate their analysis, but this time, instead of treating the uh, the vote as one big collective vote of the four demographic groups, disaggregate that vote by Asian American, Africans, um, European Americans, and Hispanics, and uh, tell me the uh, the observations. Uh, because I, I think when you combine everything all together, it can produce misleading results since the four demographic groups tend to vote quite differently. Uh, you guys want to tackle that? That's uh, above my pay grade as a demographics person that's a, that's a and a bit, numbers that's person. It's a bit deeper than a meta-analysis, but let's break it down real quick. So what we understand is that Hispanic vote, especially in the border areas, is trending to the right. It has been over the last few elections. We know in Florida, we know in the Rio Grande Valley, um, we know that the Asian American vote specifically in Orange County, which is one of the highest concentrations of a suburban area, as in not urban Asian American votes, has been and is trending towards the Republican Party. What we understand from this election is that white voters mm. in general did not move. They are entrenched in their parties on both sides. There was almost no movement. We know that the black vote specifically in the South is trending towards the Democratic Party and away from the Republican Party. Because most people don't realize this, in many southern states, there is a large proportion of the black vote that has historically voted Republican hmm. traditionally. Uh, John McDonough, anything you want to add? There? I'll go along with yeah, what he says. Uh, what sounds, know, sounds good to me. <laughs> Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Hi. Hi. Um, I want to uh, uh, remark something to the gentleman I believe he was one of the guests, I don't know if he was in, in the studio or not, that said uh, uh, angrily regarding Herschel Walker, who talks about God and so on and so forth, and, and shouldn't depict him because, and he said no abortions, nothing, and at the same time he had three women, you know, he did three abortions. I'm, I don't know, I'm not trying to defend Herschel Walker, I barely know who he is, other than a football player, or was a football player, professional. But I, I, I don't remember a trial. I don't remember evidence. Now, who might have put up uh, fake accusations? Oh, the Democrats, what did they do? What did they do to Kavanaugh? Mind-boggling. They got away with it. That's pure evil, pure evil. Take an innocent guy, gang rape, in, in, embarrass him for the world and, and, and his family and so on. And let's see, 51 intelligence agents, I believe, swore that it's a... Um, All right, so Charles, your Trump... question's about Herschel Walker. Let me get John to respond. No, it's not about Herschel Walker. Oh, it's, it's not. About I... the gentleman making accusations and, and sticking to it without evidence. And, and, and probably, I, maybe he's guilty, I don't know. But the Democrats who do all things... Right, John, like it's only a four-hour show. The, the, the uh, thing is, it's, okay. it's not... Okay. Guilty or not guilty? I, I mean, these people came right, it's out electable or not? And, exactly. and, and, yeah, and, and the thing is, he invokes God, and he's running against the minister. Like I, I am so for separation of church and state. My, my people come from the northern part of Ireland, and let me tell you, once religion gets involved in politics, it's over. And anytime I see Herschel Walker invoking God, and then the Warnock, he's invoking God, and he's a, a minister at a church and getting the congregation to come out. I'm telling you, that's a recipe for. Disaster. Disaster and you, you know the, the, if we can keep 
religion out of running in politics. Let's do it. All right. Next two years, uh, there's some key local races next year in all over the country. And obviously 2024, everything's up, including the presidency. If you were to give um, a one piece of advice to both the Republicans and the Democrats uh, for the next two years to maximize their electoral prospects, what would it be, Jaden? Uh, I think Republicans need to understand that unpopularity of the president does not translate into popularity of the Republican Party. And what about uh, what advice would you give the Democrats? I, I think for the Democrats, I would say that if they're looking for a reason that they should have the mantle of governance, it should not be because Donald Trump. Uh, John McDonough, same question. Republicans got to stop picking reality show candidates. It's ridiculous basing on you know what what they did on television. And with the Democrats, you you got to get more with the working class. Watch the videos in the morning of what's going on in the subways here. Just before I came in, there was an unbelievable fight on the subway there today between a, oh, a FedEx guy. I, I see it all the time. Like you know, this is really happening. We're not data deniers. Us in the working class here in New York City, we know what we're seeing and what we're experiencing on the subway in the streets. They got to get with it. Well, you can uh, see, you could read some of Jaden Horan's work in Soigne, a uh, terrific publication, which is sort of the anti-Vogue, S-O-I-G-N-E dot co, right? Uh, you can uh, hear John McDonough regularly on WBAI. Follow him on Twitter at Captivist. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, we're going to continue. Curtis Lewa is in the building. That means you never know what's going to happen. Leticia Romaro is here. Your influence counts. Make sure you use it.